not the footy show. show. Forward sizzle. <laughs> when you overcook the meal. A few you know, HIAs right there, eh? <laughs> yeah, no good. No good. No good. Um, yes. Please don't put that in our uh, preamble. <laughs> uh, I'm just looking at your team here. I don't yes. mind it. I don't mind it at all. Again, this is uh, a, it's kind of a combo between what I think they're going to go with versus sort of what I'd like to see them do. Good everybody. Welcome to episode 279 of Not The Footy Show. It is time for another deep dive. This time it's the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. I'm Warwick Nicholson. That is Rob Cox coming to you on the podcast and all over YouTube, Coxsmith. We've made the recommendation oh, list. What's it's happened? It's gone viral. It's gone viral. Hey, hey, oh, being... I hate, you know I hate that word. Well, it's, it's a hard word to say in these COVID times. But, yes, we've gone viral. We uh, are recommended. Uh, we're loved. We're cherished. We're national treasures. I don't think it's uh, about us, Coxsmith, just to clarify. Really oh, I think it's people have really? an insatiable appetite to devour all things West Tigers, <laughs> uh, which is the whole Love point the about Tigers. what we're doing with these deep dives. We're picking the teams that we pretty much think people want to read about or listen about, uh, and that's why we went down there. So thank you very much to everyone who's watching uh, the Tigers one. The watch hours is crazy, so we really appreciate the fact you've actually stuck through looking at our two ugly mugs for the best part of an hour. Speaking of ugly mugs, well, used to be, and I'm not trying to be harsh here, but can we just say what a wonderful job Phil Gould has not only done with the Bulldogs roster, but his own health? Have you noticed how fit Gus is looking lately? Yeah, yeah. He, he looks really good. Uh, he looks like he's dropped, um, you know, probably a dozen or so kilos at mm. least, and he's looking younger. Um, and, mate, he look, he's, he's uh, kicking goals at the Bulldogs. He's getting people... He's not only not only getting players, but he's he's getting staff. You know, there's been a couple of staff. Yep. Uh, I think from the Tigers go there. Yep. Um, over the last eighteen months, uh, and then he's he's got his coach. He's got Seraldo there. Yep. Um, he's even he's even bringing back players from you know from the virtual death in Josh Reynolds. Uh, everyone <laughs> oh, wants on. a no, piece. No, no, of no. The- Gus told us on Twitter that he wasn't bringing guts bringing. Reynolds back. He assured us. You mean Gus maybe had an omission yeah. there? Of, of well, the I've got a I've got a list what? here, and unless it's a typo, it's got Jay Reynolds right on it. So he's on a Josh Reynolds train and trial deal. Uh, he's the big yep. name uh, in regards to that. Eighteen well, two. It's it's twenty months, I think, since Gus took over as GM of football, and just stick to Gus. Wonderful job. I think he had back surgery, and that's what sort of helped get him to a point where he's now. Fight and fit, and what he's done with the the recuperation of this Bulldogs roster is nothing short of incredible. I was impressed with what Tim Sheens has done in his time frame. Gus probably had a more dire situation in terms of playing talent than even Tim did taking over the Tigers, because the criticism of the Tigers has always been, "Oh, they can't take the next step; they can't make the top eight. Yes, they went backwards and won the wooden spoon last year, but the Bulldogs have not shown a lot of hope in a long time. Well, it feels like a long time, and I'm sure there's a few Bulldogs fans that feel like it's about 20 years. He's got his coach in Cameron Serato. He beat out Tim Sheens for him. He's got th- two really big names for 2023 and for the Army Kikau and Reed Mahoney, or Marnie, sorry. And he's also loosened the purse strings at 8.25 a season, reportedly for Stephen Crichton from 2024. I know I talked about the Parramatta 
acquisitions from the mid-90s. And Gus did a similar thing at the Roosters, if you remember, during that period when he took over in 95, don't you? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, I mean, the, the big thing Gus did, his first big move on the chessboard of the Roosters was to bring Fittler in, mm-hmm. uh, really, or the, or the first thing that was really noticed, you know, because of his uh, leaving Penrith and then Fittler followed suit. And um, this is a little bit like history repeating itself. <laughs> exactly. maybe, That's know? kind of my point here is that he's, uh, you know, that whole handshake agreement, oh, I won't take any players or I won't take any, you know, well, yeah. Yeah, well, you know what, as far as, far as, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that uh, you know, you, everyone's on whoever's on the market is is fair play. Um, as long as you're not pulling players away from contracts, which I don't believe Gus has done, um, I I think you know it's business, business as usual. And uh, uh, I think he did a phenomenal job with the Roosters. And I think um, you know, I, 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 it's looking like this Bulldog side will be part of his legacy, um, the way that they're building. Um, I think that's why they've why still got a job. Why took the job? They've, they've still got to do the business on the field, yeah. uh, which the Roosters have done, obviously, if you look back through the record books, if you're too young to know. But, um, yeah, mate, I, I can't say – I can't speak highly enough of Gus uh, as a football administrator. Uh, I think he's he's amazing. I think he's the best in the business. Um, and uh, anyone who, who passed on Gus um, would be would be silly, I think, and would, would probably be annoyed with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, dragons. So, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> dragons, yes, yes. Uh, the team I feel sorry for still is the Warriors because he probably would still be in that gig if COVID had happened and effectively yeah. squashed his ability to recreate that junior system over there. So the Bulldogs are the big winners. The other signings they've made for 2023 include Ryan Sutton from the Raiders, Farmanu Brown, that picked up from the Tigers, Andrew Davey from Manly, Hayes Perham, wonder watch kids, uh, from the Eels, Franklin Pele from the Sharks. Uh, they've signed Josh Reynolds on a train and trial deal. They've also got a young boy called Jacob Preston from the Eastern Suburbs system. I think he played for Norse in the South Wales Cup last year, but the problem he had was there's a lot of back rowers running around Chookland, and the Bulldogs came in and swooped and got him, and they have a very big high opinion of him. And BX, does that tickle any uh, any player names when I give the initials BX, mate? Bronson for 2024. That's the that's the chat is that he signed actually a deal when he comes off his drug ban. It's done, it's a done deal. A done deal. It's I reckon it's gone under the radar a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably has, you know. Um, but if if they've got him, then that answers one question that I was going to ask you later on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously if he comes back in the same kind of. Um, uh, form that he had uh, when he left, uh, or when he was sat down. Um, yeah, look, mate. Looking, looking the through. Is what look, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. Looking through the signings, and looking through um, just the seventeen that you've written down here for us. Um, yeah, I mean, the future's bright, mate. The future's bright. They've got a good coach. They've got a great administrator, um, and they've got. What's turning into, on paper anyway, uh, a really well-rounded team that doesn't look like it's lacking in too many places. Do you think the happiest person at Belmore is one Jay Adokar? Because when he signed come to Canterbury, he copped it deluxe, didn't he? Oh, you're going to lose every game and there's no one, there's no hope there. And I mean, he got his fullback money to play on the wing. We'll talk about that mm-hmm. again when we get to Crichton. But 
Shadow Car's got to be just cheering because not only has he got a lot of quality joining the side, but the bloke who wouldn't pass in the ball last year has gone as well in Aaron Shop. Yeah, yeah, well, you're right there. Um, look, just just on on Josh Adokar's pay, uh, I think he brings more to the football team than just what he does on the football field. Mm. So uh, um, I can't I can't argue with his pay. I mean, he sh- he showed us at the World Cup what he's worth. Um, given if he's surrounded by players that will kind of play to the way that he wants to play and and he in his supporting role as well he's he's very very good at that so i can't i can't argue too much with that <clears throat> and who knows you know if if avarillo was to go down early in the season season um adokar might find himself with the number one on his back for a couple of games maybe it's not a, as well the position we'll in a second let's just talk about the people who gus has mm. convinced to depart or punted out the door uh, Aaron yeah. Shop, Josh Jackson, Jeremy Marshall King, Paul Vaughan, Corey Allen, Jack Hetherington, Ava C. Magnafangai, Joe Stimson, uh, Brandon Wakeham, and Matt Dufty left halfway through last year. Uh, mm. That's like the bulk of the team that played regular football the last two years. Yep. Yeah, and and you know what? Um, I think I think every single one of those guys um, obviously didn't fit into the the script that Gus was writing, and um, needed to find the door or be shown the door. And um, you've got to make hard decisions as, a, as an administrator or a football uh, mm-hmm. boss of a football club. And and I don't think Gus is um, shy in making those decisions. And they need to be made. It's it's business, you know. That's that's what you want to see from an administrator, from a CEO or a GM of football, whatever it is. Like, don't just, you know, we go back to the Dragons pod we did two episodes ago. Rather than patching all the holes, just start the new yep. ship. Start building the new ship. Yep. 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 Have, mate, you know, you just got to be prepared to have a, 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 a tough year or two mm. and then you'll come out the other end, you know, probably looking a lot better than when you went in. So, uh, and Gus knows that. But this has been pretty quick. This this hasn't, this isn't one of those ones where they're down in the doldrums for too long. Gus has really made an active, taken an active approach on this and turned the ship around forcefully um, since he's been there. Yeah, since he's been there, I think if you're a Bulldogs fan, you're not saying, well, it's been quick because they've been enduring the poor performance no, but before I, he arrived. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah the, the transformation is doing quickly. You've got to go back to what was happening at the Bulldogs before Gus got there. There's a lot of infighting going on. There was a power struggle, a, a very well-documented power struggle um, between the, the, you know, the old school Bulldogs family and you know, some new people that were on the board and whatnot. And um, that wasn't good for the for the football club. They were, there were appointments that were being made and players being signed that probably shouldn't have been signed or appointments being made. And, and they struggled because of that mess going on in the background. And, and it seems to me, without having an insider's knowledge, that Gus has come in and probably sat everyone down and, and in Gus fashion has said, listen, pull your heads in. I'll fix the football side of it, all right? You guys stick to your poker machines. Yep. I'll fix the football. Stay yep. out of it. Yep. Don't get your nose in my business, all right? If you want me to stay, give me free reign. Give me the checkbook. I'll do what needs to be done. And and I think I don't know Gus personally, but from what I've seen over the last 40 years of watching football and, and watching Gus, you know, through that time, I think that's the way it would have been played out. There would have been a line in the sand, and he would have said, this is my side of the line. 
I'm not going to go over and cross over onto your side and do not come into here. I want free reign. That's the only way I'm coming to this football club. And I reckon that's how it happened. The other thing that was working in Gus's favour, as difficult it may, as may have been for him in the first three or four months, but remember he signed when we were in the second lockdown in 2021. Yep. So there wouldn't have been this face-to-face stuff happening that comes when you join a new organisation. He would have been able to get stuff done for three to four months to five months behind the scenes before he had that conversation you're talking about. He just would have said yep. to him, clearly, let me do my job. And then he would yep. have walked in and said, now sort yourselves out. I've got all this yep. stuff already done. And for the next 18 months, just sit back and, and keep your mouth shut and let me do my gig. Because the thing with Gus, and I've said it many times on this pod, but for him, it's the challenge, I think, that's brought him back to this this gig. It's that legacy mm. word that you used before. Because if everyone yep. knew Gus was a talented player. I mean, if you want to see Gus at his peak, uh, South 86 versus Canterbury at Belmore. That's a Monday night football game late in the season. It was on Fox the other day, but just look it up. He just he just pulls apart the two-time defending premiers like a knife through butter as an undersized lock forward. It's, it's quite stunning to watch. But for him, he stopped coaching in the NRL in 99. And that's a long time ago. And as much as he may have been happy in his gig and, and the rest of it for the last 20-odd years, I have a feeling that there's sort of, you know, there's still that burning desire, a bit like Tim Sheen's, where it's like, I can still cut it here. I want to I want to see if I can I can do what I'm saying that people aren't doing. And that's something that I like about Gus is that he will back up his words. He might not always tell it as um, clear-cut as what he might suggest he does, but he gets the job done. And that's rugby league. You've got to have a bit of bluster and bravado about mm. you as well as the, the actual ability to do it. Yeah, look, I, I think a lot of people get get annoyed that that possibly Gus is is pulling those kind of strings um, in the coaching, you know. But I think if things – you've got to look at it like this. Gus being the head of football at a club like Penrith in the past, if – Things aren't happening in the coaching department. That's part of the football club. Yep. And if things aren't happening in the coaching department the way that he thinks it should be happening, then he, as the boss of football, should be able to say, this is not right. I want it done like this. That's not him being trying to be the coach. Mm. That's him directing the football as the director of football or the boss of football in the way he wants it to go. And, and I think – he is well within his rights to do that, as long as that's the understanding of the the coach that's come in there. So I don't think I don't think Gus is trying to be a coach. I don't think he's trying to do trying to be the the boss of everything, even though that may seem like that to some people. He's just trying to get things done the way he wants them done because he knows that what needs to be done to bring success. So yeah, he he definitely probably definitely probably he probably does. <clears throat> say to the coach, let's do it this way because I think this, this and this. Um, and I don't think that should be misread, though, as him trying to be the coach. I just think mm. he's trying to look after the thing. But anyway, enough we'll about come back, We will come back to that. Um, I want to talk about the whole Serraldo philosophy when we've gone through the team because here is the squad that I've written down that I think is close to the mark for what round one may look like. Um, it's, it's hard when you're doing these sides because you, part of you wants to put in the players you think are the best. The other part of it is you've got to understand the dynamics of who's been there longer or why they've been brought in. And we obviously don't see every training session throughout the off season. So part of it's what we want. Part of it is what we think 
Gus and Serraldo will want to go with. So uh, uh, if you'd like to go through it, feel free. You sure, mate? Yeah, look, I, I agree with... I, I'm, I'm agreeing with the, all of these here, to be honest with you. Not because they lack depth, um, just because... I mean, there's a there's a couple of little asterisks which we can go through, but let's go through your, your one to 17 and stop me if you want to talk about it. Um, but you've got Jake Avrilo at fullback. Stop. Um, <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. So you've got him there. Obviously, he was there last year. Yeah. Tell me... Tell me about that. Tell me about Jacob Rilla. I think he's the best fit for him to start, but it depends on what kind of player you want there. He, I, I think he's a footy player. Okay, like I don't think he's particularly great ball player. I don't think he's a particularly great um, support player. He's not a particularly great runner, but he's kind of good at it all without mm-hmm. being really good at it. And this is the mm-hmm. problem that you got if you're the Bulldogs: is do you persist with a player that? Looks like he has the ability to sniff out a try, but isn't a standout in any particular area and hope that he gets better playing along Burton in that role. Or do you go with a new option or a runner? The new option is a guy called Hayes Perham, who played a lot of fullback in uh, the Warriors system, played fullback, centre, wing, uh, 5'8 last year for uh, Parramatta and ended up playing a couple of games in first grade on the wing, where I reckon he looked a little bit lost, but he's more of a ball player. Or do you go down the running route, which is Jacob Carraz, and try and replicate the whole Dylan Edwards philosophy from from Penrith? I think Avrilo gives him the best of most areas of those that group, but yeah. I don't think it's like it's going to be handed to him. And here it is; he's going to have mm. to show in the off season that he can is the best mix for that. Mm. And, and that's why I've probably got him there from the the incumbency point of view. I think there's a footy player there, but I can understand how some people look at him and go limited. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think um, he he is very, uh, you know, he fits into a lot of different moulds. He can play a bit of five eight, a bit of centre. Um, if you needed to him, he'd probably run run him on the wing as well. But uh, I think the only one that's going to be really pressuring him in the short term is either either Karaz or or Hayes. Perham. Yeah. Um, but I think at first up, he'll probably get the nod um, just because he's pretty solid at fullback. Uh, it'll be a different story next year uh, in 2024, but we'll, we won't get too far ahead of ourselves. On the on the wings, you've got that man I just mentioned, Jacob Karaz yeah. and uh, Josh Adokar. Um, obviously, I don't, I don't have any problems with both of them starting on the wings because I think Karaz does need another year playing wing if he yep. wants to convert into a centre or, or a fullback. Um, and obviously Josh Adokar picks himself. Yeah. they they got some that's some try-scoring ability there. I mean, obviously, yep. Adokar, we know sports tries, but Kiraz shows a bit. Yeah, I like him. I absolutely. Like him. The centres, yeah, this, this is where the, the, the bolters come in and the reason they got rid of Shop. You know, Shop was on an okay contract, had a couple of years to go, I think it was. But the Bulldogs went, we can get rid of that and we can sign other players with that money and bring in two, potentially two juniors. They've still got Braden Burns under contract now. The poor bloke just can't seem to stay healthy. But when he's healthy, Gus is a fan. We know Gus is a fan from way back when he was in the Penrith system, mm. went to South, mm. then came to Canterbury. So I think he gets first crack if he's healthy. His yep. biggest threat, I think, is Avarillo, and they decide to go in that, that direction. Uh, in terms of 
the rookies, though, and this is the reason that I'd be excited if I'm a Dogs fan, they got two of them. They've got Paul Alamotti, who's like 19 years old and has carved up uh, in the junior system, played a bit in the South Wales Cup last year. Battled injury last year, though, which is the biggest challenge for him, uh, unfortunately, uh, and that's probably the biggest knock is, you know, at 18 or 19, is your body ready for regular first-grade football? That'll be the challenge for him. You have to show that during the off-season. Another one is Jarrell Skelton, who is a New South Wales Waratah squad member convert who put up gaudy tackle break numbers and run meter numbers in New South Wales Cup when he played last year. So they're the two that I think are fighting for the other centre spot if Avarillo is left at fullback. Have you heard anything about this uh, Alamotti kid? I, I actually have. Um, you know, I've heard his name being bandied around, but I don't know a whole lot about him. Um, but, you know, generally if their name gets mentioned a few times, you know that they're, you know, they're a, probably a pretty good prospect but from multiple sources. His, his challenge is, is he's run over blokes for the last five years yep. and you come to first grade, you don't run over blokes. That's, no, that's, the, that's the challenge with players like that who dominate at junior sure. level. Sure. And I think, um, what's the centre's name from Parramatta that did the same thing? Jacob Locko? No, the um, <laughs> Penasini. Pen- 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 oh, Penasini, um, yeah. I think he did a lot of running over other players in his, you know, in his junior football days, um, and he's. I think he's only just starting to find his feet. Oh, he, and yeah. he made. I think he made a, a good impact last year. But I, I think I, he I did too. Yeah. Uh, this. Yeah. If the Bulldogs get what Parramatta got from Penasini from Alamotti, <laughs> happy days. I, I. I really like the idea of, um, and we'll get to the bigger name addition Kickow. But if the left hand side is uh, Burton Kickow. Alamotti and at car. Mm. You, you want, the ball to, you'd want the ball to go left if you're a Bulldogs fan, that's for sure. It's a strong left. It's a strong left. But anyway, let's see what happens there. In the halves, you've got Matt Burton and, and Kyle Flanagan. Again, I think, yeah. I think they picked themselves um, to, to begin with. Um, look, I, I, I'll say it again. I sound like a broken record, but I think Matt Burton's best position is, is centre. But for mm. this team... Where they are at the moment, um, obviously, five eight is where he's going to be with his big boot, and he's um, and, he's and he can play five eight. He's just resigned. Yeah. I, I, I think he's I not think it's play he's not going to no, play I know, no, no, I, I get it. I but the the irony of it is a little bit like Laurie Daly back in the day. I think Matt Burton. Uh, sorry, don't you dare speak that man's name. You watch your mouth. I out. think I think Matt Burton is top one of the top three centers in the world. Mm. I really do. I think he's a fantastic center. He's certainly not in the top three, five eights in the world at the moment. Uh, he, he well could be. Um, they say the kid can do anything, so we'll see. Uh, I do like him at five eight though in this team yeah. as it stands for for them. Kyle Flanagan, what do you thought? What are your thoughts on Kyle Flanagan? I think this year is going to be the make or break year for Kyle Flanagan. He has to, you know, put up or shut up. That's that's the way it's got to be. How long has he got? Audition. How long is his audition for 2024? Is it the whole season well, or is it about six weeks before they just go after somebody else massively? Well, the, the, if they do, if they do. For 2024, put, I mean, yeah. If they do go for for somebody else, they're going to have to go outside of the club mm-hmm. because I can't see, I don't know if there are any juniors in there who are, who are likely halfbacks, but I don't think it's going to be Josh Reynolds. And I don't think... Burton is going to play halfback with Avrilo at six. 
So I, I'm, they're going to go have, have to go out. I mean, you've got Fomanu Brown, who can play a little bit of half. Which is why um, I think he's been brought on board, um, to, to just give them that option if Flanagan clearly just can't get this team ticking. Yeah, but you know what? Last year, mate, there, there were times last year where Flanagan looked all right. Um, he wasn't – I don't think he was shocking. I, I just think – he fades in and out of games a little bit, which is mm. generally the sign of a young player, and he's not that young anymore. I think he's 24 or 25. Um, I'm not sure how much Flanagan likes the, the rough stuff. Um, you know, some people, some players thrive on on a bit of that. I, I don't think Kyle, to me, sometimes looks like the type of player that could play in a dinner suit. Yeah. Um, but is I think that the result you know, of structure, though? Too much structure growing up? Probably. That's what he. Probably. That's what he. He screams to me as a player who's had every natural attacking thing coached out of him, and it's mm-hmm. like this is how you run a football team. You got to do yep. this. You got to do this. You got to turn the ball inside. You got to kick long. Blah blah blah. That that uh, you know, as harsh as it might sound, that might be this result of growing up the son of a coach. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if I don't know if his dad has done that to him, um, but there certainly it certainly looks like he's checking off a mental checklist. Yeah. As he as he goes, you know, but let's hope let's hope that you know when Seraldo or well, Seraldo's obviously got his hands on him now, and and Gus is there and has had a, a bit of time with him. Let's hope they can turn him into being the player that he can be because he. I know it's a different level of football, but I I remember seeing him play in the New South Wales Cup, mm-hmm. um, and he was very very good. Okay, you know, and and the Roosters didn't buy him because they thought he was average. The Roosters saw something. You know, Robinson doesn't just buy players for no reason. There was something there, and then there wasn't, you know. Um, Funny, though, the, so, the other thing about the Flanagan signing, I think we touched on it in one of the recruitment whispers recently, but it felt – your hindsight tells you or, or suggests to you that it was just a stopgap signing. Can we – because they, they had to wait till one S. Walker had turned 18. If you remember, well, history history will say that that's a little bit of a. I think that's a little bit of a pessimistic way to look at it. I mean, they they signed him for something like seven hundred thousand dollars or six hundred thousand dollars. It's a lot of money to throw away to wait for an eighteen year old to come online. Um, and you know, I've, I'm not putting a line through Flanagan yet. I put it this way: I've got more hope in Flanagan than I do Luke Brooks. Okay, there I said it. I said it. That's I, – I don't think that – you know, I think Kyle Flanagan still has a hope. Well, do you want to go through who the, who would be the possible replacements now or do you want to get through the rest of the team and come back to – No, no, we'll hit us now. Hit us with the top three, four. Okay, are the players who are – and I could be wrong. I did a quick little run through. But the players are off contract at the end of 2023 who play in these positions from other clubs. You've got, well – Mitchell Moses, who has a player option for 2024 that he can pretty much kick in at any time he likes. And I just can't see it happening because he'll want to, if he stays at Parramatta, it's, it's an upgrade city. That's what's happening there. You've got Jack Whiten, who has a player option for 2024 with the Raiders. Now, he's not a halfback, but there's a name for he's you. not a half. Yep. Uh, yep. Sean Johnson at the Warriors. He's off contract. You've got the dynamic duo of Adam Dwayne and Luke Brooks. Uh, the Tigers, and I'll throw a name at you. Brad Schneider from the Raiders. 
who got a taste of first grade last year. I'm not saying that he's, you know, superstar status or anything like that. I'm just saying he is a name that is off contract. He was stuck behind Jay Fogarty at the Raiders. Now, it's just one of those things. I, 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 what I'm basically underscoring here is the list isn't that long, Cocksmith, of guys who are off contract at the end of 2023. And look, that uh, going back to our Tigers episode, that could be a reason why they hung, they hung on to to Brooks. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the more I think about it, the more I think this thing about um, we're digressing for one moment from the Bulldogs to the Tigers. The more I think about, it, the more I think that this thing between Hastings and Bateman is true and is big, because to me Hastings looked a much more of a dangerous player last year than Brooks did uh, at halfback, mm-hmm. and they let him go. With that, they also got they also got Clemmer. It wasn't like yeah, they just I, they just cleared out a player to get someone else from elsewhere. They they got a player in the deal who they reportedly I, wanted. So I get it, I get it, but I guess it goes back to this halfbacks being thin on the ground thing. Um, what you just said, and and Brad Schneider. I don't know, man. I, I, you know, young guy having a go and good luck to him, but I just don't see, I don't see Gus bringing Brad Schneider into the team. He's got some youngsters that he's added to the squad this year in development contracts, Gus. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. got you any names that. there? You know, you know who the halves are in this list? Uh, I think Joseph O'Neill is a half. Uh, mm-hmm. I think... Isaac, oh, i got to double-check, but definitely Joseph O'Neill is a, is a half in that mix. Um, okay. And they've obviously still got Bally Biondi Odo, who hurt his knee, been playing. Actually, I like the look at him as a spark plug kind of player, but he's mm. done his knee at the end of 2022, so he won't be back for at least half the year in first Do you rate, see him so. more as a 14 than a 7? I actually think he's a 7, but okay. he got thrown into the 14 role by Barrett, <laughs> and sometimes that's not the best thing for a young half. Sure. Uh, so Flanagan, I think, has got six to eight weeks to not completely stuff things up, and he'll be the halfback for the rest of the year. But if they start badly, I can see him being the full guy uh, for well, well, the Bulldogs. Yeah, let's let's get through the rest of the team. So we'll let, we'll, we'll we'll go back to Flanagan in a moment, um, just because I want to know what their first six games are. But let's go yep. to Tavita Pangai Junior. You you've got him at lock. I think that's the best place to try and utilize him. They've got a lot of back rowers which you could argue moving to the front row, but I think you've got to get him on the field. You can't leave him on the bench. And if yeah. he if he burns out, he burns out, and then you just move on. But you've, mm. you've, got, to, you've got to give him every chance to succeed, and that is not plunge, plugging him out on an edge and hoping he gets involved. No, you put him in the middle and you, you say, just do your thing, Tavita. Just do it more often. Yeah, yeah I, I tend to agree, and I, and I tend to think – that you know, with the addition of some players coming into this team, uh, like like Sutton and Kickout, I think it creates a little bit of space, breathing space for Tavita, but it also brings a bit of pressure. Meaning, it's now time, Tavita, it's now time to to really be consistent. You know, um, with your performances, barring injury and whatnot. I agree. I think he's a lock. Um, second rowers, you've got. Raymond Fatala Mariner and yep. uh, aforementioned um, Viliamo Kikau. I think uh, Kikau on the left, <laughs> RFM on the right. That'll be the mix. And Gus is a huge opinion of Raymond. 
I can see him yep. getting first crack. I know they did sign guys like uh, Andrew Davey, and they've got players like uh, Jackson Tapine and Chris Patolo in the mix. But I just, unless they decide Pangai is playing on an edge, uh, I'd like Raymond on the right. That's my my preference if I'm okay. a, a Bulldogs man. Uh, the bench being, oh, sorry, front row, Max the King. Biggest, biggest signing, though, was Reid Marnie, I think. Yeah, he's he could change the complete way they play at Canterbury. Yeah. And I want to get yeah. to that shortly, but just finish out the team. Max King, probably the best signing of last year for next to no money and return. Uh, the Bulldogs claimed him up from um, nowhere, no man's land, basically, and he turned into probably their most consistent forward last year. And Ryan Sutton would be the other starting prop. Bench, Davey, Luke Thompson, who may not be long for this world if he doesn't shape up for Gus because Gus has been happy to move him on for a, a number of years now. Well, well, the, and the reason, but we've got to say what the reason is. The reason is he's taking up a fair bit of cap, <laughs> cap space. Yep. And and he, he's probably arguably or, or maybe not so arguably not delivering on what mm-hmm. that that um, those dollars are um, to date anyway of what those dollars have been paying him. So he does need to, he needs to come off that bench, you know, firing straight away. And the last two spots, Corey Waddell probably gets a spot because he can play middle as well as edge and far Manu Brown as the utility. So that's the way I look at the bench. Andrew Davey probably has the inside running there. He's He has an option to start on an edge if they decide that Raymond needs to be at lock and Pangai come off the bench. But I just think he can. he's a big enough body that can play both areas. Same with Waddell and far Manu Brown as the utility now because beyond Yodo is injured, as I mentioned. So the other players that are in that squad, you've got Franklin Pelle, who they picked up from the Sharks, if they can get some um, endurance into those legs, he could be an option there. Young Declan Casey is an outside back. Jaden Ockenbore, I think his first grade time, I think it's past him now, unfortunately. Ever since that knee recall, he just hasn't looked the same player. Uh, you've got Skelton, you've got young Jacob Preston, as who's a back rower from the East system, who was stuck behind a few players there. Hayes Parham, Chris Patolo, who unfortunately has just copped a bunch of head knocks in his, you know, Dozen games at first grade. That's just held him back. Jackson Topin, which is an interesting one, Cox. Have you seen much of him in first grade? He's yeah. sort of an undersized back rower who the effort's there, but the size just isn't. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of size on him. Uh, so, yeah, I have seen him play. Yeah. I, I like him as a, as a possibility to take that utility gig, but mm-hmm. I think they didn't bring Farmano Brown in and, and talk him up. Gus has uh, for no reason. Other one is Brandon Clark is the new dummy half, sort of third choice, uh, replacing Joshua Cook. They yep. also have Samuel Hughes as a prop from the Parramatta system they picked up last year. Then you've got the young blokes, Jordan Samrani, Joseph O'Neill, Iverson Matai, Isaac Matalia Booth, and the other young bloke, Josh Reynolds. Does Josh Reynolds <laughs> get a gig this year, mate? What happened? That's, I was about to say that to you. Is there a world where you see Josh Reynolds getting into that NRL team? And if so, how? We've covered off the Kyle Flanagan question. If something happened to Flano, do they elevate well, if Jay if something happens, If something happens to Flano, do you see that Brown then goes into there and then Reynolds goes to the bench? Or or do you see them? I mean, I guess it depends on his fitness. But is you know, are we going to see Reynolds in that coveted number six jersey again? I think we see him in the seven. I you really think? do. I really do. If something happens to Flanagan, I think Gus... When you say something happens, you mean like anything, like no form or he gets oh, probably, injured? Probably more injury. So I don't think they can completely unhitch that wagon there, the way the roster's mm. set up. Uh, but I can see Gus giving 
Jay Ray a chance and mm. him actually be okay for a few games. He's certainly not the long-term answer there. But, mm. you know, Josh Reynolds, Bulldogs, circa, what, 2011 to 2014 or 15? The bloke won a State of Origin series as a Wales player. He was, the, he was in our halves when we broke the, the streak. Yep. And it wasn't because we- T. Hodkinson was the guy next to him. Like, those two were part of that system. They were Hayne and Farrah in that, that spine, and that got the job done. I, yes, it's eight years ago or nine years ago, but the point is he's got some pedigree regardless of what happened at uh, the Bulldog, uh, the Tigers. And you and you still think he's got moments in him, and, and I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure he would be there even there if there was no hope whatsoever that he could play at least moments of yeah. NRL again. So yeah. uh, I don't think Gus would do that, just take up a spot, you know. Is, so, he, is he more chance of being, if, if Flanagan stays healthy, is he more of a chance of potentially that utility role to back up Reid Marnie? If, you Because know, Reid Marnie, we yeah. need to talk about. We need to talk about him. Yeah, we'll get to him in a second, but I, I think I think that there's yeah, there, I think there's a good chance that he could pl- find himself in that in that number fourteen role, um, you know, and and I guess relieve Reed Marnie for ten minutes at a time, and that way it's not a massive impact on him. He's not asking the ball play too much at nine. He's asking to you know being asked to dis- distribute and kick every every now and then, but. Um, he certainly wouldn't have the spark that Reed Marnie has got, but not many players do. And he's probably a little bit of a like-for-like replacement. Um, so yeah, I, could, I could see him doing that. I'm not saying he's going to, but I could see him doing that for sure. Now, I, was a, I wasn't a... What's the word? I actually like Jerry Marshall King, and I think he's a pretty good pickup for the Redcliffe Dolphins. But I, I, I think Jeremy, Jeremy Marshall King, certainly at the back end of his tenure with the Bulldogs was a better player than he was at the beginning. Yeah. Um, he, he, he didn't impress me one little bit in the first half of his, his tenure, but after that he started to probably a little bit of a late bloomer, you know, mm. um, and I think he is a good pickup for the Dolphins. But Reed Marnie is a massive upgrade. Oh, absolutely. Massive. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. That's not a slide on yeah. JMK. It's just that Reed no. Marnie is one of the best young hookers you're going to pick up anywhere. He really is that good. And he instantly makes them, I think, better defensively. I think he's really underrated in regards to how good he is defensively. Mm. And he is about to make the likes of TPJ, like uh, Luke Thompson, um, even Kikau and Pele and those kind of guys, really dangerous near the line. He is a weapon. Especially near, yeah, near the line. Weapon at putting guys yep. near the, into, into holes near the line. This is, I think it's a better pickup for Canterbury than Kikau. I agree. I think he's their buyer. I think he's, if I look at their team, he's their buyer of the year as far mm. as, you know, he's the biggest difference maker in that team. Um, not saying, not taking anything away from, from Billy Kickow because yeah. he's he's one of my favourite back rowers. And played um, really well last year, Kickow. That was a great season. 100%, 100%. And didn't look like dropping off either. No. Um, but Reed Money is the biggest difference in this team to what it was last year. How did Gus get him from Parramatta? He how do you reckon? How do you reckon that conversation? Honestly, how do you think that conversation went? What convinced? And it, I, I don't think it could have been just dollar signs. Well, it might have been. It is with players generally. We'll get to that later. But look, what do you think he's? What, how do you think Gus's sweet talked him? What do you think he said to him? Okay, all right. This is what I think he said. Yep. 
and and this is without any knowledge whatsoever, but I'm merely speculating. But if it was me, and I'm trying to put myself in Gus's shoes for a moment, I would have said this. I would have said, mate, I, I think, and I think you know, that you're probably the best young prospect hooker in the comp, and I'm building a team over at the Bulldogs that will surpass what you're doing here at the Eels. You have to trust me on that. Yeah. And you're, you could be the big difference maker in that team, and I need someone like you to come to the team to fast-track our way back into the top eight, and I think you'll go further with us, and the Bulldogs have got a great history, um, and I think you're the type of player that will fit in perfectly with what we, we want to build. So if you want to come in, I'll give you 900000 a year and or eight hundred, whatever it is. Uh, I'll sign you for four years or whatever you sign him for, and um, we're going to build the team around you and a couple of other young key players. What do you think? I think that's bang on. Apart from the first line, because there's a guy called Harry Grant who's pretty good, uh, but that's the yeah. line. That's the line. They're different players. That's they're different that's the players. Line. That's the line of yep. you can be this the third or fourth banana at Parramatta, yeah, or you can come in and change how we play football. And and he and here's the other thing, right? Not taking anything away from what Parramatta did in 2023, but I've got to be I've got to be honest with you. I'm not saying Gus is thinking. Sorry, 2022. I'm not thinking, I'm not saying, I'm not taking anything away from what they did. And I don't know what Gus is thinking, but I think they massively overachieved. Mm. I don't think they'll be in the grand final again anytime soon. Mm. And I see the Bulldogs as probably a, a better, um, probably a better alternative to what's going to happen at Parramatta over the next. The Parramatta are about, about to have their eyes pecked out, basically. Mm. And it started with Reed Marnie. Yeah, uh, and and uh, Papali, yep. Papali. Yeah. Um, so just, I think what's what's going to happen. I think, and I'm sorry, Parramatta fans, but Dylan Brown will be you'll you'll hold on to him because he's got the the keys to the cash register. Yep. Um, but bit by bit, Panasini will probably go to rugby union, maybe, um, and uh, bit by bit, that team is going to disappear. Gutherson will be retiring soon. You know, within the next three or four years, he's finished. So I guess let's get off the ship that probably has floated its, at its highest level before it starts to drop in the water a yeah. bit. And let's move to a new challenge. Um, there's every chance that Reed Marnie in the future, you know, if he keeps going on the way he's going, will play State of Origin. He very nearly did a couple of well, this year, last year, whatever it was. Um, I, I think there is a uh, – is a better trajectory for Reed Marnie at the Bulldogs than there was at Parramatta. And he got play, paid very, very well, and I'm sure the, the Eels couldn't get near the price that the Bulldogs paid him. Do we know what he got? Is it, nah, is it it's not within I, that I, I haven't seen it. Eight or 900? Oh, my, my guess is it's it's in the seven region, if I okay. was if I was speculating, which is something yeah. we never do on this show. Never. Talked about TPJ. He's off contract in 2024, so this is the year he needs to prove to Gus that he doesn't get a buyout or a little kick out the door. Hmm. Uh, Crichton's coming next year. There goes another 800K. But that's the, the the thing that is interesting about the way Gus has gone about things here is that, yes, he's opened the purse strings and, yes, he's got some key players. But I want to go back to that, that crop of youngsters that he's put into the mix because the smart way you run, manage your cap 
from an outsider looking in is, yes, you have to pay for your best players and you need to make sure you're paying your best players in positions that can make differences. A good example of that would be centre, I think, is one of those positions you just can't spend big money on. Now, admittedly, I'd say the same about wingers, but Adokar, probably the exception in that he started attracting players back to the club, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you got that occasionally. But the names, Semrani, O'Neill, Matai, Matalevi, Booth, et cetera, they're the ones that are in the Deb deals. Then you've got the likes of Skelton, Alamotti, Jacob Preston, Chris Patolo, Jackson Tapine, Brandon Clark, Franklin Pelle. My point is all these guys aren't going to be on massive coin. So what you're doing is you're not only developing young blokes and giving them exposure to the first-grade squad and the first-grade opportunities, but you're not spending ridiculous money on roster spots 22 to 30. Yep. Look at the yep. Dragons. What are they paying all those, you know, borderline first-grade guys who maybe were good five or six years ago? Extreme example, we're probably punching bag the Dragons a bit, but the point is when you clear off so much on your roster, which is what the Bulldogs did. And I'm just going to go back on this list again and, and just think about what you think they'd be been on and the amount of money that this opens up. Shop, Jackson, is a, obviously a high-quality player, but Marshall King, Vaughan would have been on big money, Corey Allen, Hetherington, Sam and a fan guy, Stimson, Dufty, Wakeham. It all adds up, Cocksmith. And oh, now they've replaced it with a bunch of blokes that are earning possibly the league minimum and maybe a couple or maybe in the 200s potentially. Yep. But this is how you retool your roster as far as I'm concerned is you've got to find the young blokes who can fill it out, who can get the exposure and potentially be first graders. Because Gus is big about a bunch of these fellas. He says 24, 25, 26, that's when they're going to be part of our actual team. There's a plan here, Cocksmith, and I really, really like it. I do. Gus has been quoted a number of times when he's talking about when he's talking about player lists and, and, and salary cap, he he's not thinking about twenty twenty three. He's thinking about twenty twenty five and twenty six as to where he can go with the cap. And you have to do that, I guess, to stay ahead of of trends and also stay ahead of you know the way that we play the game at the moment versus twenty twenty six could be very different, you know. Um, so he's he's um he switched on, mate. I mean, like I've said before, and, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably sounding like a broken record, and we're getting to the end of our our love set, love fest with with Gus yeah, at the right. moment. But, yeah. but he, he he's the best in the business. Mm-hmm. He's the best in the business. Forget about the others. There's no one does it like Gus does it. You know, he's a, a he's a bloke that has had probably didn't do as much as he could have as a player. Um, through, you know, maybe, he says, lack of talent. Uh, I think injuries was a big reason he... Injuries. He, he, yeah. he had some pretty nasty injuries, you know. Um, but he's done everything as a coach, and now he's he's repeating it with with what he's doing as a administrator. And and I don't think I don't believe anyone. Love him or hate him. I mean, when you're a commentator on Channel 9 and you're calling the games, you're going to polarise people. It's yep. just the way it is. It comes with the territory. Gus doesn't care. Little story about Gus. I saw Gus a couple of years ago at a state of origin, where we for, for the NRL we had tables set up in a, in one of the um, one of the tunnels there. Um, it was getting late in the evening. It was after the game, and Gus 
was probably a little bit tired of sitting outside with the big lights on him. So he came and sat in the tunnel. He just sat at one of the tables, didn't say a word, and he was just on his phone. Yeah, there were pe- there were there were people, grown men, probably four or five meters away, screaming at him, screaming obscenities, screaming, you know, trying to trying to bait him and whatnot. He did not lift his head once from the phone. He just kept doing what he was doing. I don't know if he was doing a crossword. I don't know if he was looking at when players are coming off contract or what he was doing. He didn't bite. He didn't even didn't even get annoyed. Didn't move. Just sat there and did what he was doing. And then when he got up to leave, he didn't even look at them. He just walked outside. Gus is unflappable, right? Yep. And he knows the game he wants to play as far as bringing players in and and whatnot. And he just gets done what needs to get done. He's got in his mind what needs to happen. And he's, he's unflappable. He's unstoppable. And... If your club doesn't have Gus, you're already behind the eight ball. That's all there is to it. That leads me to the Serraldo conversation, and we'll wrap the podcast up pretty shortly, people. But he's the one that Gus wanted. He's the one that Gus got. It's the one that Tim Sheens wanted, but it's the one that Gus got. He's talked about how smart he is, how switched on he is. The thing that Gus has often emphasised with Cam Serraldo is the mateship and the bond he has with players. He talks about the fact that, you know, might be speaking out of turn here, but it's like the anti-Seabolt, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're both great with the X's and O's, but one seems to relate to players and one doesn't seem to even be okay. able to get out of the boardroom, okay. It's something that Gus has really pushed hard on. And I want to flip it to, that's great, and he's picked up Kikau, he's picked up Crichton, that's worked. Burton's obviously still there. That's fantastic. But Cameron Serraldo is the, the the new kid on the block and the one that everyone – and you gave him a pass at the start of the year. You said he's a good coach based on assistant coach. My point is we, we are really critical on a coach when he comes in even doesn't win. All right? We say yep. he can't, coach, can't do anything, Trent Barrett, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. This is where I look at the challenge for Serraldo as he has to be patient in one key area. Penrith were a relentless football side that have been built over a number of years from when Gus decided that that junior system needed an overhaul. And one of the things he's famous for saying on that uh, six tackles with Gus is that we teach all our players, no matter what level they're playing, to play the style of football that they're going to play when they get to first grade. So if the front rowers need to pass, they pass. If the backs need to do extra work, they do extra work. That's how he, that's how he set up his system. Serato comes to the Bulldogs to a team that has been very bad for a while. Yep. He's had three months with him, Cocksmith, since mm-hmm. he joined. My viewpoint is it is he needs to defer to Gus a little bit on how they need to play in 2023. Because if he comes in and decides we're going to turn this team into a relentless football side like Can- like Penrith, three months is simply not enough time to get that team physically ready to play that way. The mark for me of what is a successful year for Cam Serrato is that he realises this is a long game and doesn't try the win-at-all-cost straight-away approach because that, to me, goes against, and I think it's the trap that a few other coaches have got into, which is they walk in and say, we're going to change everything, we're going to win games because I'm here. I think Serrato walks in and he goes, and this is what you are saying about Gus not coaching, but he sort of says, Gus, how do you think? where do you think this team is at? Where can I take it this year? 
not so much where am I taking it, you know. I'm not going to take us to the premiership in this season. I, I think that's the mentality that Serraldo hopefully is able to adopt because I I just don't think you're going to see Canterbury make such a turnaround to play like Penrith this season. It may happen next year, and I think that's what Serraldo want to do. But that's to me the big challenge for Serraldo is is he going to be willing, Cocksmith, to to not overdo it this year? I guess is what I'm asking you. Yeah, and and to your point, I think. They definitely had a conversation about um, the way that the team should play football, given given that they're in the middle of a building phase. Yeah, and you know, and I think in the in the in the depths of of uh, their hopes and dreams, there'll be a number in mind as far as where they think they can end up from from one through to seventeen, um, and they'll be probably aiming at that or just slightly higher than that. Um, but I think I honestly I, I I think that Gus probably had the conversation that look, this is the style I think that the boys should play. What do you think? And there would have been an answer, and I reckon the answer was yes. I think they should play that that style. Okay, so let's coach them for that. Let's let's you know with the view to maybe get to the a next destination a, a year. You know, it'll be a constant kind of a slow up curve, but. But yeah, I, I don't think they can. I don't think Seraldo can come in and turn them into Penrith because yep. they're not Penrith. Yep. Um, you know, so I, I, I agree with you that pressure will be on Seraldo a little bit, but with Gus there overseeing things, I, I think the pressure is relieved a little bit. I think that mm. that side of it is taken away, and and let's be honest, I mean. Not being flippant about it, but he's got a five-year deal, baby. Yeah, <laughs> life's good. Do you reckon? Life's wonderful. Gus, do you reckon the Gus when he walked in there, he said to Cam, "He goes, you're probably here for life if you want to be, but I'm just going to start with a five-year deal just so Buzz gets triggered." Absolutely. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Don't, don't think for one sec. Gus has got a great sense of humour. I think. Yeah, he, he will do whatever he can to wind to wind up Buzz Buzz Rothfield. Well, you realise he posts on his Twitter every chance he gets shots of the Canterbury drone that apparently they couldn't afford. Um, <laughs> I love that everything on his um, Twitter accounts just some there's a little drone of some subscription in every every photo he does. Uh, finishing tier for the Bulldogs yep. in 2023. Yep. Our yep. tiers are one to four Premiership contender, five to ten top eight contender, eleven to fourteen not quite there yet, and fifteen to seventeen cellar dwellers. Where do you have the Bulldogs in 2023, buddy? Where did they finish in 2021 and 2022? Ah, question without notice. Sorry, mate. Oh, no. Get back to your stats page. Really project. Come on down. Okay. Bulldogs in 2022 finished 12th with seven wins. Yep. Uh, they finished last in 2021 with three. Correct. 15th of... Uh, 16 teams with three wins in 2020, 12th the year before, 12th the year before that, and 11th the year before that. Last time the Bulldogs were in the finals was 2016. They're going to finish in the second tier, mate. Five, Five to, 10. to 10. Yep. They're going to finish in the second tier. Um, I'm going to say they're going to finish ninth. Yeah. I got them a tier below. I think 11 to 14. Ooh. But I've got them in a but I but I but to be 
somewhat fence sitting. I've got them in eleventh. Okay. So I just think again, seven think wins, a player or two away. Seven wins needs to be twelve to thirteen wins if you're going to make the eight. Mm-hmm. Seven wins, I think, when you've won three and three twice in a row the two years before that is a step up. Another five is is big. It's a, it's a big ask, and you can't let those games go, which bad teams generally do. And that's where I want to see the Bulldogs improve. If they get to ten wins, I'll be a, I'd be content yep. if I was a Bulldogs fan. And anything more than that is certainly bonus bonus stage. Something just occurred to me. For them to finish eighth, what do you, in in a nutshell, very what do you think has to happen for them to finish eighth? Teams have to fall over above them. That's, but who has that's... to play? Who has to play really well? Who has to play out of their skin for them to finish eighth? Oh, Burton. Bert, Burton's the key. Burton, who has a great kicking game, yeah, it's a pretty good running game, yeah, he's okay defensively, yeah. I want to see him organise that team better. And be and be willing to to get to the other side of the field when he has to, and and really go on my shoulders, boys, because he's going to have a hooker who can create opportunities around the ruck and and get some momentum going through the middle because they've got a good enough forward pack, that's for sure. But I want to see Burton just unleash at a car more more of those first or second tackle kicks. What what's what do you got to lose? Teams aren't ready for it. Just, just I, for, my point is, he's the guy that I think has to have a huge season for him to sniff the eight. For me, there's about four players that need to play better than they've ever played before okay. um, or as good as the best that they've played before, and that would be Pangai, yep. Kikau, Marnie, and Burton. And, and funnily enough, I think that they're the players that have the most pressure on them to play as well. So... They're not. I don't believe they're going to make the eight, but I think they're going to finish ninth, maybe tenth. I think they're going to go close. They're going to knock off some big names. Just um, to be clear, they had seven wins last year. They had to win twice that amount of games to make the eight last year. Yep. So you're going to have yep. a full season of performance again to make it mm-hmm. the way the, the ladder was last year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They underachieved last year, mate. Um. You know, they, they should have been better, but they just didn't have the cattle on the field. Well, they, they, they were 12th after their, mm-hmm. last, their second last win of the season in round 20 against the Knights. I was at that game. And then they lost four in a row and ended up yep. finishing 12th because they won the last game. They, they had a chance definitely to finish higher. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, mate, I, I, look, I think, I think the future's bright. Um, and I think with the addition of one or two more players, which we will see for 2024, in Crichton at least being yep. one of them, um, you know, then then they become top eight. To, that, that's when they become a top eight team again, just with got, a little bit more class. And you got fifteen months of Serato ball. Yep. You know, uh, you yep. wanted to know their opening to the season. Here it is. Yeah. What's it? First six games. First game is Saturday afternoon at Brookie against Manly. Got to win that game, especially if Tommy's not running around for Manly. Then they head to Melbourne for a Saturday night game. We know something about Melbourne Storm, and that is they always start the season well. So mm. I'm feeling one on one after two rounds. Then they've got mm. a massive game at Belmore Sunday afternoon against the Tigers. Mm. Then they head across to Auckland to take on the Warriors in round four. Yep. Back in Sydney at um, a core stadium 
to take on the Cowboys on a Sunday night game, and then they've mm-hmm. got the Good Friday game against the uh, against South Sydney, and in round seven they play Parramatta at Combank. Okay, I reckon after six they can be three and three. So you've got them beating Warriors, Tigers, and Manly. Yep. Is that right? Yep. But losing to the Cowboys, Rabbitohs, and Storm. Yep. That's that's. I think on paper that can happen. So yeah, I'm not not out of the equation there. I think the the key game there is that Manly one. They need to start that win because. If they drop that, they'd be zero and two hole. If they lose to Melbourne the next week, which is just it's a bad way to start the year. They have the round twenty three buy. Speaking of how they finish, so round twenty three they have the buy. It's a guaranteed, I think, two points. It hasn't been confirmed whether the team is going to get points for that. They play at Newcastle on a Sunday afternoon, at Canberra on a Sunday afternoon, uh, at home to Manly on a Sunday afternoon, and away to the Titans on a Sunday afternoon. Their last four games are Newcastle, Canberra, Manly, Titans. If the dogs are can... in contention for the top eight, that's a draw that says you should make it because there's a good chance that, let's say, Canberra, Manly, and even, oh, I can't say Titans, but maybe two of those teams are also contending for the eight, maybe, mm-hmm. and probably two aren't. That's yeah. pretty much as good a draw as you're going to get to the back end of the year. Yep. I think they can win at least two of those, and and then they've got the and they've got a, uh, a buy as well. So I think they can win two of those games. So you've got them in ninth. I've got them in eleventh for season twenty twenty three. There were two other players I, I hadn't had on the list because the way the contracting works with the NRL, they might be training and trialing or be in that yep. next tier. Harrison Edwards, who made his debut last year, I think he's still with the club. He's a back rower, and uh, Curtis Morin is another one that aren't officially Bulldogs, but they're both in that that mix in case people were wondering where we were going. But we've got a long podcast already in the can. Now, do you Mm. want to talk about one more thing? I do. So everyone was here. Now, I didn't edit this podcast until later on Friday, and as a result, the RPA put a bunch of clarifications and notes about the whole Teal posts. So effectively what we're saying is based on the information before those came out so please take that with a grain of salt i think we still stick behind the fact that they decide to strike that's when it will be and there's not really a lot of winners in this whole situation anyway just thought i'd uh, point out that we were you know recording before that information came out from the rlpa i want to talk about i want to talk about what's happening with the rlpa and the nrl mate are we gonna are we gonna see are we gonna see a strike or what what's gonna happen I think we will. You think we're going to see a strike? And what's what's that going to affect? I'm talking, about to... A, I'm talking about a pre-season strike. I'm seeing no All-Stars. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing no first week of... of, of um, no first week of pre-season. Okay. And do you think... Do you think the NRL would be well within their rights to then say to them, okay, we're not going to pay you for a month. We're going to dock your pays by 9%. I don't know if they're within their rights. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how it all works. Well, do you, um, well, okay, maybe not within their legal rights. Do you think they're within their moral rights to say that? I go back to how the game kept playing in 2020. And although I don't think that should carry weight forever, and it seems to carry weight forever if you're talking about PVLs, dicta- I mean, uh, running in the game, uh, what I look at is the players were well looked after through that period, realistically. They didn't have to go on... Um, the COVID payments, they still got. But they took pay. 
They took pay cuts. They took pay cuts. They still got paid well. And they got to play and and not be completely bored with their life, like a lot of us. Uh, I think there's an element there that says just got to be careful how you position it, players, because the little teal green Instagram thing that happened yesterday, I don't know what that's telling you. That was a really strange one. It was a strange choice of colour as well because money is considered green, isn't it? Um, yep. But we keep getting told that it's not about money. I'm 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 worried that the players are going to go down the US route because they see how it's done over there and how player power is the be-all and end-all. And I just don't know if they're in that bad a situation. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they're getting everything they want, but it feels like this is about they want to say in how money is divvied up. They want to say in pretty much everything because they are the product. And we've been in this position before, Cocksmith, and it doesn't end well for players when you go out in this this direction with fans. Because no, clubs, the clubs, fans, the clubs tend to be forever. Well, that wasn't completely true after Super League, but the clubs maintains the player doesn't always. And yeah, you know, I'm worried for the players that this is a case of. Even if they do hold out for that first week, which I think is probably the worst case scenario, it's just not going to end well for them in the in the public perception. Yeah, look, I, I have noticed a few negative things from um, a lot of negative comments on some social media posts um, about the money that the players get and whatnot, and it's and it's very easy to be envious of of you know a person that's making a lot of money for what some people perceive as an easy job compared to their daytime job. Yeah. Not sure it's, I'm not sure it's an easy job, but no. it, it is it is very easy to fall foul of public opinion yeah. um, in this situation, especially when some players are making $1.3, $1.4, $1.5 million per year to effectively play up to 30 games of football a year. Um, you know, so, so it is difficult. But my I said to you earlier on, do you think the players want more say in the way that the games run? And you answered yes. Mm. Okay. And then I said, okay. And this is away from the pod. We had this conversation. I said, okay, some players, there's a big cross section of people within the playing ranks. You know, you've got some really smart dudes who could be lawyers if they wanted to, um, or engineers, or, you know, dare I say, it, doctors. There's some very smart people. Or influencers. Also some, I mean, that's, that's in the category, isn't it? There's also some 22 or 23 year olds running around that have the intellect of a 10 year old. Yeah. Okay. There's also some players that ha- have in the past home invaded and assaulted people. Uh, there's also Allegedly. some players that have, there's also some players that have been charged with all sorts of horrible offences. Yeah. Do we want the playing group as a whole to have a say in the way that the that the money is dispersed? I say no. Mm. I say until they fail. I say that the the people that are in charge have to be left to be in charge until they fail dismally in their way. And and then if they do fail dismally, don't leave them in there just to divvy out the money that the players say. Eject them from the position and put somebody mm-hmm. in that can run it. And that should be under constant review. I don't know by who, but shouldn't it be the ARLC? Mm-hmm. That's in, they're meant to be the independent mm-hmm. board. They're not so independent when there's people. <laughs> it's not independent anymore because the game's run by the bloke who's chairing up that, right. that committee. Right. So, so going forward, I say that the players shouldn't have. So- but 
Have you got a solution in the next four and a half minutes? Tell me, or no. the next minute, do you have a because solution? The, the one of the I things do. that they brought up, one, one thing they brought up, just before you get to the solution, that they had the yeah. issue with, and this is something we've, this is the whole thing that spouted recruitment whispers as a segment for us or as a sub-show. Yep. Players are willing to move at the drop of a hat if the contract's right. They are, yep. that's clear. One yep. of the sticking points that came out in the Fox Sports article today or yesterday is, oh, we don't want to have an enforced recruitment transfer window. Oh, we can't possibly be told when we can sign with play with teams or not. You've got to give us eight a month, please, please. Yeah, yeah. Please. We, 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 we've seen players. We've been. Oh, we've seen players in the past be, be extremely happy at the club they're in. Everything's beautiful. I love my life. Within two weeks, they're at another club because yeah. the other club has offered them two hundred grand a year more. We've seen it. I mean, don't play the BS card, guys, because we've seen this. And and I'm talking about players, player managers, but also the people at the NRL yeah. and clubs don't play the BS card. It's easily seen through. We can see it for what it is. My What's solution, because they keep, they keep talking about, oh, we don't really want more money. And we're talking about players that are making 700 grand a year more plus ago. No, no, no. But we're talk, we want to, we want to help the little guys, the guys in the club that are on minimum wage. There's an easy solution. Minimum wage for any player in the top 30 or a player that comes from the development into yep. the into the top 30, 200 grand a year each. The salary cap remains the same, 12 point, whatever it is, one, $2 million, 200 grand for everybody. It's the Oprah Winfrey of, of, of uh, everybody gets 200 grand. Yeah, check under your seat. Check under your seat, there's 200 grand minimum. So we're, everyone's taken care of then. Then we don't have to worry about anything else other than how we're going to pay the guys that are making $1.5 million. I think the players have to be really careful. I think the players have to be really careful. I know that the game doesn't exist without the players. And I know that the game can't just rummage through the, the virtual rubbish bin and bring players in that aren't to a certain level. The game has to have a certain quality to the product. But <clears throat> I don't see this ending well if they go down the road of striking. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see it. Because I think that the NRL will lose will lose trust. You mean the tr- the trust thing here is that the NRL disperses the money and pays the clubs that pay the players. But the other way that it works is that the players turn up and play the game. Yep. And if one side loses a, a big amount of trust, that is they're not going to show up and play or that is they're not going to pay us, then the NRL have been paying. They've been paying them. Mm. I'm not on any side here. I'm just I, – I hate to see this kind of – stuff go down because you know it, it affects it affects everyone you know it affects the fans it affects the media it affects the players it affects the people with the jobs at the NRL that you know we don't really know what they do but they've got a job there so it affects everyone um, but anyway but you can wrap it up mate let me pull this quote out from uh, Capewell this is yesterday I think the NRL have a belief that they if they wait it out long enough we're just going to have to sign the CBA, etc. But we're not going to stand here and cop it. We're ready to draw a line in the sand and we'll make a stand. We don't want it to come to a player strike, but if the NRL is going to sit on their heels and not budge, who knows where it's going to go? That's why well, they've I'm, obviously spoken about it. That's then. why I'm saying that if it's if anything's going to fall by the wayside, it's going to be the All Stars game that's going to go and the first week of the preseason. Mm. That's my prediction. 
I don't disagree with you. Right. I don't oh, we did disagree on whether the Bulldogs will finish. You've got them making the top eight. I've got them nowhere. No, it's not like it's not. No, 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 no. You've got them in no, ninth I've... and eleventh. Uh, that is the deep yeah. dive into their team roster and recruitment. Well done, Gus. Good job. Very good job. Uh, and let's see what Cam Serrato has got in his kit bag. That's been episode two seventy nine of Not the Footy Show. I've been Warwick Nicholson. That's been Rob Cox. Canary Banks down. Bulldogs are down. I don't know what's going to be next because we've covered off the really big movers and shakers, but. Cocksmith, we had a few requests for maybe some contenders. They're just not as interesting as the teams outside the eight. That's the that's the, the long and the short of it. Um, there's a lot of gossip. There's a lot of gossip around, but there's just not much movement. So let's let's text or, or talk on the we'll, phone, and we'll figure we'll it out in the next we'll twenty-four hours. A new team uh, early next week, and we also need to do a preview before you head off to the United States uh, for your yes. hamstring reconditioning stint. Correct. Yes, I need to run more freely. I'll no, talk to you soon, mate. All right. Talk to you later. Take us out, Cogsmith. Pepsi. Not the footy show. Have you been sleeping over there? Pepsi. <laughs>